The title of the message is, and it'll be up on the screen here, the title of the message is Sleeping or Stressing? Sleeping or Stressing? We're in Mark chapter four. What amazing times we find ourselves in in the world here in 2015. We live in very interesting times. I'm sure many of you would agree. Our world is at a very interesting place in its existence. It's funny. You can barely turn on the TV and turn to a news channel or read a newspaper without feeling your heart drop into your stomach a little bit or become easily shaken by the state that our world is in. I'm sure many of you would agree with me. Now, pause right there. There are many reasons why our American media would put out stories that have shock value. Okay, obviously it's fueled by, you know, wanting to get ratings. They want you to view, they want you to see, they want to make money, okay. So there is, there is that component, there is that issue. However, there is still a deep issue surrounding us as believers in this day and age in 2015. There are issues. I'm sure that many of you have been following the radical Islamic group ISIS in the Middle East and the horrible atrocities they've been committing. I mean, they're turning the Middle East upside down. Very horrific things, very scary things. I'm sure that also some of you have maybe followed the recent development within the past month of the German airline pilot who basically committed suicide with hundreds of passengers on board. Okay, These are the kind of things I'm talking about. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) I'm not trying to depress you. I'm not at all. But these are the kind of issues I'm referring to. Things that make your stomach turn. Things that maybe make you question humanity. Things that make you think twice about the world we live in. The reality is, we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. And it's been this way ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Ever since they disobeyed the Lord, it has been a downward spiral of brokenness. And our American society is the same way. The antidepressant pharmaceutical market is a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion dollar industry. Get this, 30 million Americans 30 million Americans, I'm going to say it again, 30 million Americans are on antidepressants. There are 30 million Americans who feel that their life is unbearable, that feel their circumstances pile up against them. There are 30 million Americans who turn to antidepressants. There's an issue. There's a problem. Not only do we live in a broken world that surrounds us as believers, but this brokenness has a way of spilling into our own lives as well. Maybe some of you have come here this morning to church. It's a Sunday morning, you're coming to church, and maybe you're, come, you're carrying a heavy burden on your shoulders. Maybe you're going through a difficult season. Maybe you feel like life is piling up. For me personally, <laughs> it seems like the last month It seems like the last month has been the month of car problems. 
Okay, now I don't say car problems to dampen any of your you know, issues that you may be carrying here because I'm sure that there are, there are some just by the size of the room who are carrying much heavier burdens than just a car issue. However, I bring up a car issue because it's just one of the circumstances in life that we can face that can pile up that bring us to the point where we are freaking out. When we are freaking out. But... There's nothing wrong with my car. It seems to be the cars of everyone that is around me. One of my coworkers, his axis, I mean, he bought this new car, the axis broke, the head gasket exploded. I mean, he had to turn it into cash for clunkers. He only got 300 bucks. And now he's having to work extra hours to make up enough money to put a down payment on a car to get a new lease. I mean, it's stressful, right? Or what about my sister, Sarah, the, the sweet woman who sang with me, you know, minister with me in, the, in, in worship. She's down there in Southern California. I've, I've been helping her out the past month because her car has been having issues. It, she'll be driving down the freeway. All of a sudden, her car turns off. It just shuts off. I mean, wh- you know, and the mechanic can't figure out what it is. We're at multiple shops. I mean, can't figure out what it is. And then my girlfriend, Sierra, I mean, she had a Ford Explorer. She wants to sell it because she wants to get better gas mileage. I mean, who here is in that boat? I mean, the gas prices are going up. You need a higher, you need a better gas mileage car. You know, her car is having issues. She's trying to sell it. I mean, it's a crazy storm, car issues are. <laughs> And so I have an interesting story to tell you because in this story, I learned something about myself. I learned something that was very humbling about myself. So my girlfriend, Sierra, she's trying to sell this car, okay? And uh, the check engine light is on. There's a spark plug problem. It's, it's, like, it's like riding a roller coaster when you're accelerating. It's not smooth, okay? It's not smooth sailing. And she's stressed out because she wants to get a better car. And so just like any of you who have been in relationships, okay, when your significant other is going through a difficult issue, you want to be there to what? Lend support. You want to be there to encourage them, to point them to Jesus. I can't tell you how many Christianese things I said to her during this storm of about a month of her trying to sell a car. Uh, things like, you know, just trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, he's going to take you through this. He's going to carry you through this. Well, he did, praise the Lord. She got to sell her car. Now she's looking for a new one. She made money back on it, which is cool. But here's the interesting thing. Literally, two days after her car is sold, we're driving to school, and I turn my car off. And as I turn my car off, smoke begins to come through the AC vents. <laughs> and I begin to turn back on everything that I had told her. I began to say, these words come out of my mouth, if my car breaks down, my life is over. If my car breaks down, my life is over. Forget it. Forget my savings. Forget everything. It's over. I'm panicking. I'm stressing out. And within a a matter of a few seconds, she turns to me and says, you just got to trust the Lord. (laughs) You got to trust the Lord. (laughs) It's true. And I turn to her in pride, in a moment of pride and and I say, it's so easy for you to say that when it's not going on and it's not happening to you. It's so easy for you. And, I, and, I, and it's like the Lord was like, whoa, dude, whoa. And I begin to walk to our class, head down, humiliated by my pride, humiliated by my pride. So life circumstances, they have a way of piling up. They have a way of becoming overwhelming to the point of where you're, you're, you're considering that your life is going to end. <laughs> Sometimes we find ourselves in certain situations where we can't seem to find a way out. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm sure as I'm saying this, some of you are thinking about your taxes that are due in the middle of this week. <laughs> it's tax week. It's 
stressful. The reality is, we need help in life. We need help outside of ourselves. And here, in Mark chapter four, we see a problem. We see a storm. We see a trial. We see a great need. We see the disciples in a situation where their faith was tested, their hope was fleeting, and their lives were almost lost. And most importantly, we see how Jesus responds. We see how Jesus reacts to the storm. So let's pick it up in verse 35 through 36. Turn with me there again. Verse 35 says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. Now there were also other boats with him. Now pause right there. And look with me in verse 35 again. Notice that Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. Now we understand from the context here in this passage of scripture that Jesus had just finished preaching and teaching from the very boat that he and his disciples were in. You see, he, they parked this boat just offshore on the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and he was ministering and teaching to the multitude of people who were gathered there on the shore. And when he was finished teaching and evening had come, he gave out the order to cross over to the other side. Soon as he's done, he gives the order to cross over to the other side. In this passage of scripture, we're gonna see a storm out on the water of the Sea of Galilee. We're gonna see a violent storm. But prior to this, Jesus himself had been in a few storms on dry land in his ministry. He's had religious leaders from Jerusalem make blasphemous charges against him that he's demon-possessed. They say he casts out demons by the rulers of demons, a total blasphemous lie. Basically asserting that his ministry, the power of his ministry, comes from Satan. A total lie. And then on top of that, just one other circumstance Jesus has been dealing with, his family, his own family, has been attempting to take him back to Nazareth because they think he's crazy. They think he's insane. They don't understand him. So we see the Lord is exhausted. The Lord's tired. And the instruction comes, let's go to the other side. This right here is such a beautiful part of the story Because here in the text, we see Jesus' humanity. We see that he's tired. We see that he needed to cross to the other side and make a quick escape. There was no time to go ashore to get supplies or maybe some food for Jesus who was tired from ministering. No, he wanted to cross over to the other side. He wanted to make a quick, quick escape. And even more interesting than Jesus' humanity here in this passage of scripture is what he says to his disciples in verse 35. If you have a pen, if you have a highlighter, I highly encourage you to underline this or highlight this, this phrase he says. He says, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. And this brings us to point number one. It'll be up on the screen Point number one, if you're jotting down notes, 
Jesus will always get you to the other side. Jesus will always get you to the other side. You see, Jesus made a promise to his disciples. He didn't say, let us perish in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't say that, no, no. He promised his disciples that they would in fact cross over to the other side. This promise, okay, this promise to his disciples is very encouraging for us as believers. Why do I say that? Because sometimes the storms of life are scary. Sometimes they're unbearable. Like the disciples in this story, amidst the storms of life, many times our faith is tested. Our very belief in God is put on the line. There are times where questioning the motives of God seems like the best option. Questioning his sovereignty that he is in control is a worthy choice. Sometimes we forget what his word even says about who he is. Maybe you've come here this morning, and I wouldn't be surprised, and you feel totally overwhelmed by a certain situation, overtaken with doubt and despair. I believe that in those moments of doubt and despair, in those trials, it is so important, critical, to remember who God is to you. Especially in the midst of a spiritual storm. When I find myself in a troublesome situation, now this doesn't take place all the time because I'm a fleshly human being, okay? But when I find myself in a troublesome situation or circumstance, I like to remind myself a few things about the nature of God, about who God is. So I'm gonna throw out a couple scripture references and if you guys wanna write these down, maybe this would be an encouragement to you when you find yourself in one of those circumstances where you're panicking, you're stressing out. 1 John 1.5, John is writing and he says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, when John is writing this, and he uses the term light, it's referring to the perfection of God. You see, light, what does it do? It pierces through darkness. It helps us see clearly. So when he uses this term light to refer to God, he's saying that God is pure. He's without blemish. He can't make a mistake, he's perfect. And there are no accidents with God because he's perfect. And then later in that same book, 1 John, chapter four, verse eight, John is writing again and we learn he says that God is love. God is light, God is love. So if God is perfect and if he is love, then we can rest in the assurance that his love is perfect. And then, here's another reference. We can read what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, one of the most highly quoted verses of the Bible. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We can read that knowing that God has a perfect plan for our lives, that he loves us, and he's going to use our storms for his purpose. 
And ultimately, that he will use our lives for his purpose. These few attributes of God, and there are many, many, many more, these attributes of God show us that even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of the storms of life, when the waves are crashing against us, when there seems like there's no hope, we can have the assurance that he is in control, that he has a plan for us, and that with him and him only are we able to get to the other side through the storms in our own life. Only through him, amen? Okay, I'm gonna take a drink of water, but let's pick it back up in verse 37 through 38. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, talking about Jesus, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the disciples and Jesus are sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And remember, Remember, because this is important to understand, many of the disciples in the boat with Jesus are experienced fishermen. They made their livelihood on that sea of Galilee. They've traveled this route hundreds of times. I'm sure, actually I'm positive, that there were no issues with trusting within their own abilities and knowledge to get themselves to the other side of the lake. But what we know from the passage is that something unexpected happened. A great and violent storm arose. You see, the Sea of Galilee, and I know many of you probably know this since my dad is so knowledgeable about Israel, so I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but the Sea of Galilee is, is known for its sudden and violent storms. Just because of the way it's positioned geographically with the mountains surrounding it. So it's known, just like this, all of a sudden it's, you're going to have a storm. But the severity of this storm is shown through the reaction of the disciples. Many of them were experienced fishermen. They've been on that lake. I'm sure that they've been in a storm before, but they're panicking for their lives this time. So we can see that the storm was incredibly severe. But Jesus, our Lord, he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Here we can see Jesus' humanity yet again. He is weary and exhausted, so weary and exhausted that he is sleeping in a rocking boat through a violent storm. He was tired. Think about all the things that could have been worrying Jesus, real quick. Think about all the things that could have been worrying Jesus. He could worry about those religious and political leaders who were plotting against him, who were saying he was demon-possessed. He could worry about his family, who thought he was crazy. He could worry about the overwhelming crowds with their overwhelming needs, that every single time he seems to step foot on land, he has these crowds around him, always, 24-7, asking for healing. He could be worrying about that. He could be worrying about the disciples he chose. Are they reliable? He could worry about the future because he knew what his destiny was. He knew that soon he would die on a cross. He could worry about that. With all these things to worry about, Jesus wasn't worried. He slept in a rocking boat. He slept. Verse 38 tells us that his disciples woke him up. 
The wind didn't wake him up. The arguing of the disciples didn't wake him up. And the water splashing over the boat with fear of the boat capsizing didn't even wake him up. But at the cry of his disciples, he instantly awoke. At the cry of his disciples, he instantly awoke. He hears the desperation in his disciples' voices. He hears the uncertainty of them knowing whether or not they would live. He hears that. And in that moment, in that very pivotal moment, Jesus responds. With that in mind, this brings us to our second point this morning. If you're jotting down notes, it's gonna be on the screen. Are you going to sleep or are you going to stress? You see, in this passage, we see two reactions to the storm. There's two reactions. Both of them are complete polar opposites of each other. We see the disciples' reaction, and we see Jesus' reaction. So let's look at the disciples' reaction to the storm first. I like to sum it up in this simple sentence right here. I don't even know if it's a complete sentence, actually, grammatically. But they were stressing. There's their reaction. They were stressing. One moment, they're smooth sailing. Jesus is asleep. Okay, they're headed to a new location. They've traveled this route several times. They've had a successful day of ministry. Lives are being changed. Can't you just see the self-confidence in their faces? But within a moment, the peace is shattered and comes crashing down. I love what Charles Spurgeon says in commentary on this passage and on the reaction of the disciples to this violent storm. So listen, he says, we are often the same way. We feel we know the situation. We're experts on this one and all we want Jesus to do is help us bail out our boat. We want Jesus' help, but we want his help to work out our plan. I'm afraid, too, that we rely too much upon ourselves. Was it not Dr. Gordon who, when he laid dying, said that the secret of strength and faith in Christ was having no faith in ourselves? I am inclined to think that the secret of weak faith in God is having a good deal of self-reliance. But when you cannot trust to yourselves, Then you hang upon Christ and cling to him as your only hope. Then you give the grip of a sinking man and there is no hold like that. I love that. Look, we don't know what was going through the disciples' heads or their hearts, whether or not they were full of pride, but what we do know is that they panicked. What we do know is that they saw their lives flash before their eyes. They feared an impending death They were frustrated at the lack of help from Jesus. They cried out to him, don't you care if we die? They were stressing. Now, what about Jesus' reaction? What was happening when the storm rose up, when death was just around the bend, when everyone was panicking? Jesus was sleeping. He was sleeping. The Lord's sleep was not only the sleep of weariness, was not only the sleep of being exhausted from a day of ministry, it was also the rest of faith. We know from the context 
that Jesus had expended lots of energy ministering to the people of that region. But his rest shows us something greater and deeper than the simple fact that he was tired. Jesus was able to rest by faith in God that he would get to the other side. He trusted the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of God the Father to help get him where he needed to go. He was confident in the Holy Spirit's power at work through his life. You see, amidst the storms of life that many of us face, that many of us in this room are facing, there are really only two options to how we can react. I want you guys to understand this. There's really only two options. It's a lot like riding a roller coaster, okay? I've actually never been on a roller coaster. I'm really afraid of heights. It makes me really nervous. But maybe some of you have. It's a lot like riding a roller coaster. You know that when you go to the amusement park, you get in line for this certain roller coaster that the engineering is like perfect. It's certified, it's been checked, it's been tested, it's been run. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have been on the ride even that very day. And you know that if there was a malfunction or if something went wrong with that ride, that amusement park would be facing major lawsuits, big time. So you can have two reactions. You can either enjoy the thrill of the ride and get your money's worth knowing you're gonna make it to the other side or you can white knuckle it the whole time, screaming your face off, saying, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, and, 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 but still make it to the other side safe. In spiritual storms, it's the same way. We can panic in our flesh or we can rest in Jesus. We can stress out and go through every single way that we could get out of this situation by our own strength or we can sleep, we can rest. So what happens after Jesus wakes up to the stressed out disciples? What happens? Look with me at verse 39 through 41. It says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Our third and final point this morning we're going to talk about it. It'll be up on the screen again if you're jotting down notes. Number three, the victory over your storm comes from Jesus. Comes from Jesus. The disciples may have panicked and lacked faith in the promise of Jesus to get them to the other side. Yeah, they may have panicked and lacked faith, but they did do something right. (laughs) They did do something right. In their distress, When life was on the line, they turned to Jesus. Now, they may have tried every maritime maneuver that they had learned being fishermen first and every other option, but they still relied on Jesus Christ to help them through their crisis. Do we turn to Jesus in our distress? Do we cry out to him? To be honest, at times in my own life, crying out to the Lord or offering up a simple prayer, Father, help me, Father, save me, Jesus, you're in control, is the last thing I do. 
because I'm so consumed with my own finite brain to try and figure out a solution that I forget to rely on Jesus and turn to him. Maybe that's the same for you. But after the disciples turn to Jesus and cry out to him, they are blown away by what takes place shortly after. In verse 41, the disciples say something to each other. They ask each other a question. Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? The disciples ask a good question when they ask, who can this be? You see, the reality is it can only be the Lord, Jehovah, who has this power and authority to calm the storm, who only has the power and authority to calm your storm, to help you cross over to the other side. I love what David says in Psalm 89, verses eight through nine. This is a great verse to reference. He says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When the waves rise, you still them. Here's something important to understand. The world tells us the opposite. They tell us to turn within our own selves to find the answer to life's difficulties. Or they'll tell you to turn to a relationship or a substance. But the sad truth is, is that turning inward and relying upon ourselves will only bring more chaos. It'll only make the the waves bigger. It'll only make the wind stronger. There are many Christians today, I really believe, who seem to think that the boat is going down their life, me being the boat. But you see, the boat cannot go down because Jesus is on board. Because Jesus is on board, because he's in our lives, because he indwells our hearts, because the Holy Spirit is our helper promised to him, we can have the confidence in his promises. We can rest and enjoy the ride because he is with us. And we can turn to him and rely on him for strength. Because I can have confidence Jesus has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Which means when he's in the picture, I'm always gonna get over to the other side. I can understand that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that he has a plan, and I can rest and sleep and trust that he's gonna carry me through, or I can panic. And because he's with me, I can rely on him. I can lean on him, my strong tower, my rock of refuge and strength. Maybe this morning, You've come to church amidst a heavy storm. Maybe you've tried the self-help books, a psychologist, maybe relationships, or the substances. And this morning you feel that enough is enough. Maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart. And you're waving the white flag of surrender. You're over. (laughs) You're over it. You need help. 
in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to turn to Jesus. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with him, if you're here and you feel that you need help, if you're here and you're lacking the confidence in the storm you may find yourself in, you're going to have a chance to turn to him. And maybe this morning you do, in fact, know Jesus. And maybe you're in a storm too, but you aren't crying out to him. You're trying every other option besides Jesus. Maybe you think he doesn't hear you. That's not true. Because he knows you. Because he loves you. Because he has a plan for you. So if you do know him, if you have acknowledged him as your personal Lord and Savior, but you're in a trial and you don't know what's going to happen, the future is uncertain, you have no clue. I encourage you that after we're done praying to come up and receive prayer. To come and share your struggle with another believer. And I'm going to be up here in the front down here with the other men and women. If you want to receive prayer, that's great. If you want to come up and and dedicate your life to the Lord, that's awesome. But remember this. Are you going to sleep or are you going to stress? Because when Jesus is on the boat, the boat will always stay afloat. When Jesus is in control, we can always have the assurance that we're going to get to the other side. And in our Father, in Jesus Christ, there is endless, 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 boundless strength that can come from him.